Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, American taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at our D.C. Central Command today. We are in the nation's capital for our daily dose of independent conservative news and views. And, and you know, today is a day where I think it's so important we have our independence from any political figure, any political party. As many of you know, we are not shy about prodding the president where he's wrong and about praising him where he's right, because it's not about the president. It's not about a political party. It's about what's doing right for the taxpayers of this country, the security and sovereignty of this country. And that's why when I criticize the president, you know I'm doing it because it's not a beef with the president. It's because I care about the nation. Well, likewise, when I praise the president, it's not about being a sycophant with the pom-poms. It's, it's about identifying truthfully what he did right and how he could replicate it. Talking about replicating national security triumphs and victories, the way the president owned the mullahs, who look like a bunch of Teletubbies, by the way, in their little, uh, the, the pictures they put out on Twitter last night, owned them. I'm here to tell you, I have a stack full of stuff of security problems, crime, illegal migration, espionage from too many unvetted foreign students from China that we brought in here. And then obviously the looming threat from Iran that affects us every day. And in my mind, what the president did last night is he completed the circuit of one policy issue pitching a perfect game. There's always a little bit of a drawback. There's someone in the administration that held him back. In this case, I really think the president pitched a perfect game on Iran. And I'm here to tell you, he could do this on almost every other issue using the same principle of deterrent and peace through, through strength, the same way he deterred Iran because they know he has the power and that Trump will use it. Trump could use that against his political adversaries domestically on other security issues. Not that I'm comparing Democrats to Iran, even though they certainly are in love with Iran. Um, but the principle of peace through strength applies to a lot of um, adversity in life, not just dealing with terrorists, dealing with political enemies as well. As I was coming in, I had to pass through one of DHS's main headquarters here in the nation's capital. It's right where our central command is. And I was thinking, this is what it's all about. This is why we have government. It's protecting us from enemies, domestic and foreign. When it comes to one of our biggest foreign enemies, the president scored, like I said, perfect game, perfect game. What do I mean by that? We took out their most revered treasured general. We crushed them with sanctions and the president now promised even more sanctions. And what do they have? They put some holes in some Iraqi dirt. And then on top of it, if you saw Zarif, the foreign minister, who, by the way, was kept out of the, of the UN, um, you know, he was denied a visa. He looked extremely weak. All right, we're defending our honor. But, 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 but Trump, don't, don't respond. Don't respond. I mean, they, they dubbed this whole mission Operation Martyr Soleimani, and that's all they have? For a very good reason. 
because they know they know that is all they can do. Not that they can't physically do more tactically in Iraq, but they know what will happen to them. Because in the end, it turns out, as we predicted, the killing of Soleimani was not an act of escalation. It was an act of de-escalation. It was an act of peace through strength. It was finally demonstrating to Iran after months of belligerence in the Persian Gulf. But not just that. Really, after 40 years of unchecked attacks on America and our interests and our allies, we will finally go there. And you know what there is. There means we could take your whole country out. I mean, so that's pretty pathetic when you have your most revered general and you don't even have a single American scout from that. That is extremely pathetic. And I think it, it's, it's a win-win. There's no war because we can kill them in a war. That is the Reagan motto of peace through strength really embodied through what the president did. And I think to top it off, if the president really wants to take this to the next level, we're going to put in show notes is a ter terrific article from Lee Smith, great foreign policy expert, um, writing at the New York Post. How the killing of Soleimani, as I noted, is the perfect exit ramp from the Iraq quagmire, the Iraq dumpster fire. It, just the opposite. It doesn't suck us in there more. It's an expression of, you know what? We're done with you. We're done refereeing the Sunni-Shia civil war. We're done protecting you from the Sunni insurgency, whether it be Al-Qaeda in Iraq or ISIS. You go own it. Screw you, Baghdadi government. Go own it. We're going to kill those that, that harm us, and we're going to leave. But again, leaving doesn't mean we don't have assets. We keep our air and naval assets right there, and we could strike you at any time. But at the same time, we're not going to spend our talent and treasure and, and you know, blood of American soldiers working for you guys. And furthermore, furthermore, by remaining there, it, it makes us vulnerable. Again, Iran was deterred by the fact that they knew we would re respond by destroying them, which is why they didn't really um, hit Americans there. But they do have that ability because we're right there three inches away from them. But we don't have to be there. We shouldn't be there. And before we move on, just on this point, how the president pitched the perfect game and why if the president follows through with a gradual and responsible pullout. Again, this doesn't mean cutting and running. This means attacking Iran from a position of strength, which means cutting off visas from there, which, by the way, over time. We have brought in this year more visas from Iran than last year. So much for the travel ban. That's where the president hasn't been pitching a perfect game on immigration, where he can be pitching a perfect game. And again, that's why I either praise or criticize the president to either prod him to get better on an issue or to demonstrate, hey, this is a great example of how you do good. But before we move on to just other the other issues I want to talk about today. When you're looking at the successes of what the president did here and the need for him to follow up on this by actually pulling out of, a, of the Iraq quagmire. Tom Rogan at the Washington Examiner yesterday wrote a terrific article that really vividly brings out the point I've been yelping about 
ever since 2015. That our presence in Iraq, far from deterring Iran, is literally a handout to Iran while Iran is killing us as we're protecting them from the Sunnis. A vivid example of how this happened. Now, um, Rogan wrote this mainly to remind people of what Soleimani did to our troops and the need for justice and to settle a score, and I agree with that. Um, But it's also a demonstration of the stupidity of what we've been doing. We've been carrying Iran's water as they kill us, and we enable that. And this is what I hope Trump changes, and he's well on his way to doing it. And by the way, another thing that was really good last night is if you notice, he put out a joint, the State Department put out a joint press release, not with the Iraqi prime minister in Baghdad, but with the Kurdish prime minister in Erbil, uh, Barzani really totally cutting them out. And I hope this is a harbinger of what's to come, that we're done funding um, the Iraqi military and the Iraqi government. So he reminds us, that, and I remember when this happened, but, but this, is, this is something else. You guys need to know about this. On January 20th, 2007, U.S. Army personnel were stationed in the Karbala provincial headquarters in Iraq. Their mission was to... Uh, work with Iraqi officials to protect Shiite Muslims, celebrating in the upcoming Ashura commemorations to be held a week later in Karbala. At the height of Iraq's 2006-2007 sectarian bloodletting, the commemorations were a top target for Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Ashura, after all, remembers Husayn ibn Ali's martyrdom at the hands of Sunni forces during the 7th century battle of Karbala. So remember, we were there protecting Iranian proxies from Al-Qaeda attacks on their religious sites. So I I say this all the time. You know, people either accuse me of being a neocon or an isolationist. I get it from both ends because I'm neither. I am very much a hawk in defending our interests full force. But what we have been doing there is not even war. It's social work in a combat zone. We are providing social work for one enemy while the other enemy attacks us and the enemy we're defending butchers us too. So here's what happened. They were informed by uh, Iraqi collaborators, the very people we're protecting. So Iran's Quds Force, with that information, knew the layout of the compound, how to get access, and that American officers would be there. Later, U.S. intelligence gathering would show that the Quds Force had built a mock-up of the compound inside Iran inside Iran, in order to prepare the attack. Trained by Lebanese Hezbollah and Quds Force officers, the cell was led by Azar al-Dulaymi, a member of the Revolutionary Guard proxy Kazili network. Al-Dulami was Iran's 2006-2007 go-to guy for kidnappings in Iraq. And basically, they got in there through um, using U.S. suburbans and equipping itself with U.S equipment and uniforms with basic english they cleared the checkpoints and stormed into action one american was killed uh as the team moved to kidnap u.s military personnel four others were handcuffed and bundled into suburbans the team sped off successfully um or they would have been had a quick u.s quick reaction force not moved in to intercept them but when it happened they executed the kidnapped americans throwing them out on the road Soleimani had supervised the execution 
of unarmed American soldiers in the custody of his forces. It's time we stop dying on the sword of Islam. It's time we stop dying and bleeding for other people's causes. For people that hate us. For Iran. That's what we've been doing. You know, yesterday was kind of a sober version of this. I think, I hope today will be more of an uplifting version. But our sober show with Dan Caldwell, who himself was an Iraq, uh, Iraq war veteran, he noted how we allowed Iran to win the day we took out Saddam. It was such a big mistake. So for Trump to complete the perfect game that he just pitched, for him to follow up, it's time to pull out from Iran. I mean, Iraq, which is really pulling out from Iran because we are funding their governments. We're funding their proxies. Let them deal with the Sunnis without us putting a Band-Aid on it and having them shoot us in the back while we're doing it. I just felt that was a vivid illustration of what we've been doing in Iraq for so long. That's not a hawkish position to do that. That's a dovish position. But anyway, moving on. The president needs to take his national security roadshow to the home game to our homeland. He deterred Iran. Again, they're going to still make trouble. We need to, the military needs to plan for the worst while the president uses soft power, sanctions, pull out of Iraq, and now let's turn to our homeland. The president needs to do the following. He needs to harness the three things he has. The veto pen executive actions that he could lawfully take, and the bully pulpit to rally the nation, accentuate the radicalism of the left on on national security issues, as well as other issues, and actually achieve real policy victories, as he did on Iran, on immigration and crime. The president needs to cut off visas from the Middle East. Instead, he barely did it, and even the country's where he did it from, maybe we'll talk about this more in depth tomorrow. The number of visas we're bringing in from Iran is going up. That needs to stop. President could do that unilaterally. He needs to deploy our troops to the border. The same way the president went there, where the military and, you know, State Department establishment never wanted to go, oh, you're going to ignite the world. Actually, really? No, if we take out Soleimani, we're going to bring peace. Oh, you can't have troops at our border. Yes, we are going to put them out at our border. While the broad flow of mass numbers of illegal immigration has gone down, thanks to us finally implementing the freaking INA, the immigration laws we have in the books, every day, the cartels get in the worst cartel people. They get in the worst repeat offenders, sex offenders. Every day, the Border Patrol catches them, but there's plenty who, who, who they don't catch. MS-13 gang members, those are really what we see in the streets. At the end of the day, Iran is a looming threat. But the domestic national security problems we let in the country, remember, if we're not over there, they can't harm us. They can't reach us with an Air Force or a Navy. They don't have that capability. 
we can only be harmed by letting the problem in our home, whether it's Middle Eastern terrorists from the Middle East, whether it's gangbangers and criminals from El Salvador, or whether it's domestic criminals that we don't lock up in jail. That's what the president needs to do. He needs to push back against the lower courts when they, when they get in his way. He needs to start pushing for tougher sentencing for gun felons that will totally trap the Democrats on the issue of gun control. Use the bully pulpit and use your leverage. Before I get into all the different stories we have on terrible national security problems with immigration and crime stories, it's going to spill into tomorrow's show. Again, remember, the numbers of deaths that Americans have had in great numbers so far are not from Iran. 2,500 murders a year from those with ICE detainers. 15,000 sexual assault arrests. 2,500 kidnappings in this country from illegal aliens. That's what affects us. And that the president needs to step up his game. You know, I found myself last night drawing a lot of analogies from Trump's success of peace through strength, of deterrence, of maximizing his power and communicating to his adversaries that he would use that power if need be to Trump's failings domestically dealing with Congress and the Democrats. As you all know, veterans of this show, I know we have a lot of new listeners for the new year. Trump has signed every budget bill this year, giving Democrats victories, not just this year, but for the entirety of his presidency. They have taken his lunch money. Remember, I wrote in December in a column how they gave, they knew that, they needed to give Trump a face-saving measure. That's, that's the term being used for Iran. They were totally owned. They needed some symbolic, and it wasn't even much symbolism because they didn't kill anyone, some face-saving thing. So Trump claimed, oh, I got 40 miles of border wall funding in the thing. And as I noted, they've already disarmed us because the Democrats, through the judicial supremacy that the Trump administration has agreed to, and through the sanctuary cities that they have not deterred, that the Trump administration has not deterred, they've grown. Democrats are getting what they want on immigration. The 40 miles of border wall is nothing. But they knew they had to give Trump something. Isn't it amazing how Trump was on the victim or weak losing end of the face-saving victory with the budget bill while he's on the winning end of the quagmire with Iran? It's almost like a different Trump. But the same ingredients for success, the same tools that the president used to fight Iran, he could use against the Democrats to drive more national security victories on sanctuary cities, on the border, on crime, on visas. These are all the other promises he made that he has yet to fulfill. He has fulfilled this promise to shred the Iran deal and counter Iran. And he's certainly done that ably. But now it's time to bring it home. It's time to bring it home. And what are those ingredients? When your enemy knows that you are really stronger, but they know that you will use it. See, here's the deal. Iran always knew that our military could crush them. I mean, they suck. You look at even last night, four of the missiles malfunctioned. 
Colonel Dan Steiner sent me a note uh, before the show, and he said, you could bet the Chinese who sold them that stuff are taking notes and trying to track down you know, their inventories to see what went, what went wrong with them. It's like they were made in Bangladesh or something. You know, talk about made in China. You know, those things were pathetic. They know that. But what they didn't know, based on past history, is that we would actually have a president that would use it, that would go there. Now they know he will go there. Same thing here. The president has enormous executive power. The president is much more powerful than the Supreme Court, much less a dinky loser, radical Antifa district judge. You know, I was thinking yesterday when I saw the Supreme Court announced there was one inch of snow in D.C. and they shut down. I was thinking, man, Congress can't shut them down. The president can't deter their ridiculousness, but one inch of snow can. The president could articulate, use the bully pulpit, as Reagan always said. On 80-20 winning issues, sanctuaries, crime, people want to feel safe. And say, I have the power. Here's chapter and verse why I have the power. Here's why it's the right policy. And here's the, the, the Democrats are for MS-13. They're for criminals. They're for Iran. They're for Hamas. They're for Hezbollah. I'm changing courses. You tell me how suburban voters will go with Democrats. The president's power is the veto leverage. Now, he's given away the last year, but he has next year's budget bill. He needs to for the Democrats to know he will veto. See, right now they know he's never going to veto the bills because he's almost never used his veto pen. He needs to start use it, using that. He needs to take more aggressive executive action and get rid of those stupid lawyers in his administration who are saying he's the kowtow to the dumb courts. What are some of the things he needs to do? And again, we're going to continue this all tomorrow because, frankly, they're going to kick me out of the studio here. We got other uh, other shows going on, so I'm on a on a tight clock. But um, this is a very important story that I referenced, but it just grew legs. And I think you guys need to hear about this. More Chinese nationals arrested for snapping pictures of. Navy base. This is from the Navy Times. Two more Chinese nationals entered Naval Air Station Key West in Florida and illegally snapped photographs, according to the FBI. And, um, you know, last, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, they arrested one guy. The unnamed MAS, the pair for military identification, this is the security guy at the base, which they couldn't provide took Zhang's Michigan driver's license, that was the name of the Chinese national, and told them at least twice to make a U-turn and leave the base. Instead, they kept driving past signs that indicated it was Navy property. Because she couldn't leave her post, the MA said she radioed Navy security forces to find them. It took them 30 minutes! But when security personnel located them, they found Zhang possessed a Nikon camera, like Wang's cell phone, it had recorded images of of um, Sigsby Annex. Zhang also allegedly photographed military buildings on Fleming Key, the affidavit stated. And um, so just before we get into the immigration aspect, what is it with our naval bases? I mean, 
Soldiers can't be armed, but belligerents could get on it. Again, this is something the president, you want to talk about executive action. The president promised from day one to get rid of the gun-free zone stuff. He needs to fulfill that. He needs to fulfill that. Both men were born in 1995. Um, and I'm just trying to see if it talks about their, um, their immigration history. There was a fourth Chinese man, Zhao Kinali, pleaded guilty last year to legally taking photographs of Naval Air Station Key West building. So this is already the fourth incident. So here's the deal. Breitbart, John Binder, terrific reporter at Breitbart, he wrote an article, and we've talked a lot about this. No one country has sent more of its nationals to the United States over the last decade than China. I want you to think about that for a moment. Traditionally, when we are at a state of hostilities with a country, we don't take immigrants from there, right? Remember, immigration used to be run out of the State Department. Because it was viewed as a tool of foreign policy. See, the best way, especially a, you know, in a strong country like America, for our enemies to screw us over is through foreign nationals infiltrating our country. Illegally, legally, through the front door, we let them in. They serve as terrorists for countries like Iran and Sunnis. They serve, they engage in espionage for China. Again, not all of them, but uh, certainly not all of them especially Chinese, a lot of them are terrific and, you know, certainly uh, well accomplished. But there, it is known, open, open source. We have tons of problems with espionage. And yet we have more immigrants from China, our number one strategic threat. I'm a big hawk on Iran, but as you saw last night, they're kind of pathetic. China's the big daddy here. They're stealing our technology. They're spying on us, left and right. This is how they do it. This is how they do it. We don't need some massive trillion-dollar military program to stop it. We just need to stop self-immolating and having mass migration from there. More than anywhere else, more than Canada, more than Great Britain, between 2018 and 2019, China replaced Mexico. Think about that. Mexico is the largest sending country of foreign-born immigrants to the United States over the last decade. In 2006, more Mexican nationals arrived in the U.S. than Chinese, Indians, and Canadians combined. Fast forward to 2018, and China now sends the most foreign-born immigrants to the U.S., surpassing India, Mexico, and Canada. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know if he goes through the numbers here. But um, just off the top of my head, we have about 360,000 Chinese foreign students. And we, th those are non-immigrant visas, although a lot of them, they wind up staying here. And in terms of immigrant visas, roughly like 100,000 a year. That's a tremendous amount. If just 0.01% are spies for China. We're done. Trump could shut off visas or limit visas. Again, 1182F. 
for any reason, any country, any form of immigration, for any time the president shall choose when he believes it's in our national interest and there is no greater national interest than stopping Chinese espionage. You don't need Congress. Don't tell me all oh, the Democrats control the House. This is something Trump can do now. My biggest priority of this show is to take a conservative audience and Trump's base, who Trump certainly listens to, and direct them to what the president can do now. You're not going to convince Pelosi to do the right thing. You have to beat her. Trump certainly, as you could see from Iran, he is open to doing the right thing. He has good instincts. But he's surrounded by people who tell him, oh, you can't do it. You can't do it. Or sometimes he's just not aware of a certain thing going on unless he hears about it on Fox News. We need to call in those airstrikes. Celebrate what the president did today, but remember that that is a demonstration of, that, of how the president is capable of doing the right thing. This is all executive action. Imagine that. Chinese spying on our bases and we just let in hundreds of thousands of them every year. Every year. So that's when it comes to this. Then you have the sanctuary city issue. The president could cut off these, cut off funding to sanctuary cities tomorrow. Oh, but Daniel, the courts. Screw the courts. There is no constitutional right to, for states that federal funding. See, here's the little joke. All these people are like, Daniel, you can't fight sanctuaries. Tenth Amendment, states' rights. Like, as if states have the right to have their own immigration system and thwart federal immigration law, which, as you know from this show, I've read to you from, from Madison in the Federalist Papers already, explained why the feds have control over immigration. States don't have control over everything. They should control a lot more than they do. As conservatives, we believe in that, but there are certain things that we did need a federal government for, protecting the whole of the union. But nonetheless... All these pseudo-libertarians want to tell me, oh, no, Daniel, states' rights. But then at the same time, like, Daniel, you can't cut off federal funding. States have the right to federal. Well, wait a minute. Either they're independent or not. You want to tell me they're so independent they could say, screw you to federal immigration law. But they're dependent on the federal government for funding and they have the right to that funding. No. Trump could withhold that. And yes, that will require him to back it up this coming September with the next budget deadline with a budget fight let the democrats come into an election year defending holding hundreds of thousands of other countries most violent sex offenders and murderers and gang members and drug traffickers let them do that sanctuary cities is an 80 20 political issue everyone's like daniel it's not realistic trump's not going to have a budget fight on on september 30th you know five weeks before an election that's exactly the time to do it that's how you win a blowout election. As it stands now, realistically, if Trump could get reelected, but it's very hard for them to win back the House because of some of the courts with the redistricting in Pennsylvania and, and North Carolina, as well as um, just all the GOP retirements and the vulnerabilities they have, the open seats, the, you need to make a bigger play. Again, the equivalent of our military prowess against Iran is Trump using issues that could destroy the Democrats with the public. He needs to do that. He needs to do that.
I want to move on to crime. And again, we're only going to come to a couple of things. As we noted, Reagan himself said that although crime is a state issue, although it's a state issue, the president has a bully pulpit. The president, every day, he needs to tweet out another sickening case where repeat violent offenders are being released with almost no jail time or prison time. Every day. But there's also something he can do about it. As I noted on previous shows, it is a federal issue in this sense. It's the federal judiciary that created so many loopholes that ensure that we can't land convictions and these people plead down, which is part of the reason why we have an under-sentencing problem in this country for violent criminals. He could force McConnell to take up legislation. I mean, this is the thing. The legislative, the legislative team in the White House is pathetic. They're either on the other side or they're absent on, on, on the Hill. They need to be engaging, pushing the president's agenda like Reagan had um, with, with his team. But someone needs to direct the president on this. The president needs to push to toughen the mandatory minimums on guns, on gun felons. Hey, Democrats, you want gun control? How about locking up the guys who assaulted people with weapons? It's the ultimate jujitsu on guns and public safety. Republicans have bled a little bit from these shootings politically. This is how you turn it around. Stop this business of the stupid Koch brother associates and the White House legislative and policy teams saying we have an over-incarceration problem. No, we don't. Let me read to you a story that is not unique. It's sickening, but it happens every day across America. Thousands of people are like this. This happened in May, but there is a rub that just happened here. A 17-year-old is accused of raping a jogger in Northwest Atlanta neighborhood Thursday. This was in May, which was two days after he bonded out of jail on a theft charge, authorities say. Now, we're running out of time, so I'm just going to truncate this a little bit. This is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Deshaun Garrison of Atlanta faces six felonies after two incidents. Atlanta police told AJC.com. Basically, this guy is 17 years old, but like so many juveniles that we don't deter because we don't lock them up. And I don't mean for drug charges. I mean murderers and rapists. We don't lock up. This is the story of my hometown, Baltimore. Um, So much of it is probably majority of the carjackings are being done by juvies. And they get no, no, no jail time, including when they have a weapon. Again, remember, states like Maryland, New Jersey, they are open carry states. The right to carry for criminals. Criminals could carry and nothing happens to them. You and I carry in self-defense. We'll get thrown in jail. But anyway, this guy had a dozen arrests. So it's not just Daniel, first time, juvenile. We don't want to lock him up forever. No, no, no. Armed robbery convictions, all sorts of stuff in his record. The last thing was related to a carjacking and he stole a car. And basically, despite that entire record, he was bonded out. To, uh, it was something like 11,000, 13,000. It was nothing. 17,000. Anyway, he was wearing an ankle monitor. 
okay, we're now I, we've talked about this many times. Ankle monitors are worthless, completely worthless. They don't deter them. Wearing the ankle monitor, 9 a.m. two days later, he was arrested again for allegedly raping a 50-year-old woman who was jogging on Abner Place. Police said he's accused of tearing her pants off and assaulting her on the front lawn, lawn along the street. This is in broad daylight. Um, a witness saw what was happening, helped stop the assault, and helped get, held Garrison until officers arrived. He was charged with rape, aggravated assault by strangulation, battery that caused substantial physical harm, interference with government property, um, and bail was denied. Now, at its core, we have government. Why? So we could have the liberty of walking around unrestricted without a woman getting raped, without getting carjacked. This was someone, you know, it's not like this was a domestic situation that sometimes it's a little bit more. No, no, this was just a random innocent woman and nothing to do with him grabbed her. And, and this was obviously pretty bad. If the charge was um, assault uh, resulting in, in grave bodily injury, this is really bad. Um, she's quoted in another article. She's anonymous. Um, her name is not out there as saying um, he would have killed her if not for this guy. This guy who was a real man, came in, stopped it, and held him down. So it wasn't even just a regular rape. It was like almost attempted murder, too. Turns out, at local Atlanta media is now reporting, this guy got bonded out again! 50,000. 50,000 bond. This is the crisis that is happening. There is a gathering storm of crime happening, not just in New York, but in Georgia, in red states. This cancer of criminal justice deform is permeating every corner of this country, and it has been for the last five to 10 years. And now we're seeing the effects of all these repeat violent felons out on the streets, and then the people in the pipeline, especially juveniles, not being deterred. Now, I have a lot of other stories in our queue we'll go through tomorrow, but I want to end with this. Reagan talked about the juvenile problem. He had something called a commission for victims of crime. He always talked about victims of crime. This is what Trump needs. He needs to establish a new commission. He needs to be a voice for the victim, as he promised. Stop with this stupid low level. I mean, they're still working on garbage in the White House. This is where the president needs to get better. But anyway, in this commission, in their recommendations, they talked about the need to get tougher on juveniles. And it's chilling to read what this commission of Reagan's led by Ed Meese wrote um, over 35 years ago. The juvenile justice system begins with the premise that those who have not reached adulthood cannot be truly held accountable for their actions. They do not intend to harm and will reform if shown the error of their ways. As a result, in many jurisdictions, even violent and frequent dangerous conduct is not considered criminal and is evaluated behind closed doors. Society is paying a tremendous price for this system. The task force suggests that the different treatment of juvenile victims and juvenile victimizers be carefully reevaluated. Because their point is, if you're a victim, you have to stand, let's say you're a juvenile victim, you have to stand before the court just like an adult, you know, and you don't get kid glove treatment. Whereas if you're a juvenile perpetrator, you do. 
Those who undertake the study of the juvenile justice system should be charged to consider the needs of the innocent victims and society as a whole. Too often in the past, analysis of this area have focused solely on the benefits to be extended to offenders while ignoring the needs of society burdened by their offenses. And they note that, you know, yeah, people chalk things up to youthful tendencies. However, many juvenile offenses drastically exceed this type of conduct. Armed robbery, rape, and murder cannot be laid at the door of mere immaturity or youthful exuberance. Again, this is the, the commission report, 1982. The victims of these crimes are no less traumatized because the offender was underage. A substantial proportion of the violent crime in this country is committed by juveniles who are becoming more violent at increasing at an increasingly early age. How ominous. This is true a hundred times over. 30, uh, 38 years later. We have much more of a culture of violence. This is happening everywhere. I mean, you see Tessa majors, that college student murdered in, in um, New York, 13, 14 year olds. We're seeing this everywhere. There was a 15-year-old that just murdered someone over mugging them for a dollar in New York. That's another big case the New York Post was reporting on. It's happening everywhere. They see those a couple years ahead of them not serving any jail time. And I don't mean for like simple possession of drugs. I mean for the worst offenses. You are all being lied to about our criminal justice system. It's the exact opposite of the way the bipartisan political elites say it is. And that includes these schmucky Republicans that sign on to this, which is pretty much every Republican I know. Juveniles too often are not held accountable for their conduct, and the system perpetuates this lack of accountability. Terrific stuff. Um, you could Google it online. Reagan's Task Force on Crime, on Victims of Crime Recommendations. It's in the um, subsection on Recommendations. Starts with page 51, and you could check it up online. This is the bottom line. The more the president does good, the more we shouldn't rest on our, our laurels. You score one touchdown in the first quarter, that's great. Let's score many more. He could do this. He has the instincts. He has the testicular fortitude, as we've seen. And he has the bully pulpit, executive actions. And, and obviously, um, you know, the veto pen. And again, the way you leverage Congress is by taking executive actions. I, again, I don't mean like Obama violating statute. I mean like deploying the military at our border. He's the commander in chief. He could deploy. He could. That is imminent. We are defending our border. You, you do not need Congress for, for that. That is a defensive action. Oh, Daniel, it's unconscious, it's posse comitatus to, no, 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 you idiot, it's posse comitatus to use them as police against Americans in our cities, not to protect our border. That's why we have a military, you fool, not to teach uh, Nigerian kids uh, how to use dental floss like, like AFRICOM uh, is doing there. Here's one thing, friends. Here's one bottom line. People vote with their feet. You know, there's a lot of polling data. How do people feel about issues? The best way to really determine where people stand on an issue is to look at their economic behavior. From the hill.com, 2009 gun sale background checks, highest si since the system was launched. 
Firearm sale background checks performed by the FBI in 2019 reached its highest level uh, on record since the system first began tracking numbers in 1998. Overall gun sale background checks topped 28,369,000, up 3% from the previous record set in 2016 that was under Obama. The report found that December saw a notable increase. So people care about safety and security. Visas, border, sanctuaries, foreign terrorists, foreign criminals, MS-13, domestic jailbreak criminals. Trump could tie this all together and then smash them on taking away guns from the same people who are enabling criminals, including gun felons, taking away guns from law-abiding citizens. The president has such a message on that, waiting to be harnessed. And, and, and you guys need to take advantage of this. I know we have a lot of gun owners, people with concealed carry permits in this audience. I still can't get a permit in my state. Um, heck, I couldn't bring my beloved H&K VP9 here. I can't travel to D.C. with it. But wherever you have it, vote with your feet. Purchase more guns. I just made some more purchases. Uh, <laughs> my wife was really upset. I just splurged on so much uh, gun paraphernalia. Um, and and that, that's the thing. You cannot rely on government to protect you. That's the bottom line. But it doesn't mean Trump cannot try to fulfill his promises. Look at how much substance we put into this, this less, less than an hour show. This is why you need to subscribe to conservative reviews, YouTube page, send this show and every other show to 50 of your neighbors, relatives, and friends go to conservativereview.com to see all of our written content, tweet it out, share it on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at arm conservative. Email me your questions, concerns, comments, Stuff that you feel is not being covered enough, what we should cover at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Let's make this a movement. I can't do this alone. It's, it's very unique. Nobody is focusing on policy outcomes, what we can achieve with this beautiful opportunity. As it is, you see, Trump is a real opportunity. We need to utilize Trump, not just for a talking point, not just to own the libs as an end to itself while owning their policies. We need to defeat their policies. That is the way to, to own the libs. And that is also the way the president will get reelected in a landslide. Till tomorrow, thank you all for listening and God bless you all. <laughs>